1: Hi, I'm Carrie Charles and welcome to 5G Talent Talk. I am super excited to have with me today a special guest, Carrie Gett. Carrie is the principal and CTO of Strategicom. She personifies nearly 40 years of global experience designing, running and auditing data centers, IT departments and intelligent buildings. She's an international keynote speaker and she's published in 69 countries in over 250 publications. She also holds an honorary doctorate in mission-critical operations and a second-degree master infrastructure mason with over 40 certifications. She's on the WIMCO National Education Committee and a longtime participant of 7x24 Exchange, AFCOM, and Data Center Institute Board of Advisors, Mission Critical Advisory Board, Women in Data Centers, CNET Technical Curriculum Advisory Board, vice chairwoman and liaison for STEM for AATCU and a member of BIS, I think I, is that Bixie?
2: Bixie, yep.
1: Bixie, yes. And CTO for Joint Force Solutions. She champions STEM education through outreach projects and she has an incredible podcast that you all should listen to. We'll hear about that a little bit later. She fosters women in tech, Strategicom is founded with a charter. This is cool to assure that 50% of employees are women and 50% of all partner referrals will go to women or diversely owned enterprises. She also holds one telecommunications patent. She was recently named in the top 10 most influential women in technology in 2020 by Analytics Insight, Network Computing Inspiration Awards finalist 2020 and CompTIA Women in Leadership Spotlight finalist. Carrie. thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes. So I am uh, excited for everyone to hear about your journey. How did you get from where you were to where you are now? So yeah,
2: I've just always been one of these people that's not really scared, right? I love tech. I love that things change. I love trying new things. I love learning new things. And so... Yeah, it was kind of a progression. I started out in architecture and then I started teaching computer aided engineering in junior college. And as CAD started coming along, I started writing programs for CAD and then I learned a couple other programming languages. And then they had a project to tie together some of the campuses. And that's when networking was in its infancy. You know, we were just getting away from sneaker net and running things around on floppy drives. And because I wasn't scared that a computer chewed my arm off up to the elbow, they asked if I would take that on. So I did. And so then I, I started doing some consulting and ended up starting some networking division and, at a couple consulting firms. And then I ran some IT departments for a while and then you know consulting again. And then I worked for a manufacturer and then I worked for a distributor. And now I own my own company. But yeah, it's just been kind of crazy. I'm one of those few people that's done literally everything in tech. A lot of people sort of pick one path and stick with it. And I've done all of them.
1: (laughs) Wow. That's great. And that's what makes you an expert. You can really relate to every single woman and person in tech, really. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the current state of women in tech, maybe some statistics. I mean, where are we right now?
2: So women in tech, we definitely have a ways to go. We have a ways to go really diversely, period. Although women are like half the population, but you know, 67% of women don't just leave their job, they leave tech entirely, which I think is deplorable. And so there's been lots of reasons cited for that. Some is harassment, some they just don't feel well. For, you know, years, we've done really a bad job in tech of using tech to solve some of those problems. So normally, you know, if somebody has to drop out in a relationship and become a caregiver, it's usually the woman because she makes less money and just you know society wise we women tend to be the caregivers, probably more often than not, but we really have a ways to go in embracing that, and there's a lot of problems too, you know, if you look at job hunting, for instance eighty five percent of jobs are filled through networking. Well, who do we network with? We network with the guys we play golf with, all that kind of stuff, and we've got to the point where these applicant tracking systems. You know, you have to tick a little box, and there's you can find all kinds of stuff on the internet about how to trick those systems and get to an interview. You know, hide all the keywords and white your resume, rewrite your resume using those keywords for every job you apply for, and all those things that really I think are counterintuitive. And then you have people that are career coaches that tell women use your initials because that way they can't tell you're a woman. Well, if you're a company and you're trying to solve the women in tech problem. (laughs) and make your company more diverse, that's absolutely counterintuitive. And so, you know, AI is one thing, you know, AI carries the bias of the coders. We know that it's been proven and AI does some things, but if we're trying to solve it, AI can't do that critical thinking. And we've really got to change that. We've got to change that behavior and, and model that. I mean, you've got companies like JP Morgan Chase who now won't take a company public at all unless they have women representation on the board because they've proven that they're so much more financially solvent and they do, you know, grow much faster. So I think that it's starting to come to light and some companies do a really good job of doing that. A lot of companies say they're going to try to do that, but when it gets to be a little difficult, then, you know, it was too hard. So I think we've got a ways yeah. to go yet.
1: Yes. I, uh, I tend to agree with you. Um, I've heard this over and over again, but I really feel like we need to say it again, that women, women and men are very different in what jobs they will apply for based on what percentage of the skills that they have on the job description. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so that's true.
2: There's been study after study that says that women will only apply to a job if they feel that they're close to 100% qualified. Men will apply when they're about 60% qualified. And then if you go even a little farther, you know, a lot of jobs, one of the requirements is a four-year degree. It doesn't really matter what it's in. It could be in Russian studies or whatever, but they want a four-year degree. When really a lot of women, if they have to drop out and become a caregiver, they don't have the four years experience, but they, I mean, four-year degree, but they have four years right. of experience. Right. And as an employer, I always thought that was more valuable anyway, because they were in the trenches. They did the trial by fire. And there's also no diversity if everybody is trained the exact same way. And we know in tech that curriculum does not keep up with tech at all. I mean, tech moves so fast that even people with a four-year degree end up having to go get certified or do a lot of on-the-job training. So I think there's lots of ways to get people where they're going. And a four-year degree is one thing, but only 34% of men and 35% of women in the United States have a four-year degree. So think about that. We're trying to fill every single position with about 35% of the population and that's not going to happen. So you see companies like Amazon that are now upskilling employees and Apple who only about 50% of their employees even have four-year degrees because they go on skills-based hiring. And I think that's really where we need to get to because there's room for everybody in tech. There's a million different jobs and and that's kind of what my podcast is about is just introducing people to all of the different jobs from construction all the way through to the cloud.
1: What's the name of your podcast? It's
2: Careers for Women, Trades and Bets in Tech. Nice. And so I picked those three. Obviously, we've been talking about the women issue. There's a lot. Trades, I think we've gotten away from trades in this country, but without trades, none of us have a job because nothing would be built. So there's room for everybody. And a lot of the trade schools, I think, really prepare... People for that base of getting a good job, and in some cases even more. Like you can go in New York, apprentice for an electrician. You get out of the apprenticeship and you're making six figures a year and you have zero college debt. And mm-hmm. so I think we really have to get back to doing those trades. And then the other one is veterans. And of course, there's there's mm-hmm. men and women veterans and even veteran spouses. One of the I'm a veteran liaison for infrastructure masons. And they work with the veterans and their spouses to get them skilled. But they have very parallel skills and amazing discipline that fit right into a ton of what we do in tech. So those are kind of the three things that I picked. But it really is an outreach because for kids, by the time they're six or seven, they usually decide what they want to be when they grow up. And they decide that based on what they see. Mm -hmm. And so... As kids go through junior high school and high school and even into college, if they don't have a frame of reference for those careers and they don't see those careers, they're never going to see themselves in them. And if they don't see themselves represented in the board of a company, we know now that a lot of these Gen Z, Gen Xers won't even apply to those jobs because they don't see themselves in the top positions and that's where they want to go.
1: You know, you're so right. And I I seem to fit into every category you just mentioned. So I don't have a four-year college degree. And I truly believe in education. I'm self-educated. I have many certifications. I've got an enormous amount of experience. But I believe with my heart and soul that we need to shift this mindset that a four-year degree is required for every job. I'm also a veteran as well in the Marine Corps. for your service. And... Thank you. And you know, you're so right that the skills, they translate so well to tech and to telecom and and so many of these skill sets that we're talking about right now. So there's many opportunities. I believe there's people out there. Okay. The people are there. So what's broken that these people are not getting into the women, the vets, the minorities, the you know, diversity, what's broken that these people are not getting into these companies to make, to move the needle?
2: Well, I think part of it is tech has always been kind of behind the scenes. People treat it like lights, right? When you flip a switch, it's there and people just know the technology exists. I think there's a misnomer that you have to write code to be in tech. And I think that a lot of people, you know, that's sort of intimidating or that you have to be good at math to be in tech when honestly, that couldn't be farther from the truth in the data center industry by itself. And even 5G, when you start talking about broadband communications, you've got guys that build or people that build towers, you've got all of the backhaul communications, you've got cable plant, you've got electricians, you've got all the equipment. You've I mean, it, there's a million things that you can do. So I think we need to do a better job of making those skills available. We also need to make sure that I think, you know, trade schools or two-year junior colleges are certainly a big part of that equation. And even in college, the curriculum has to really encompass what the industry has. And I think it's on us, all of us, to really push that message forward to the next generation because if they don't see those jobs, they don't know those jobs exist. And you know, there's, I wrote this article called The Great Talent Suck, and it talks about how <laughs> the big data center cities, that's where the curriculum is because that's where the job demand is. But with edge compute and 5G and the digital divide, those jobs are literally going to be in every little small town, You know, rural healthcare, precision agriculture. They have a tractor now that's like a Roomba that will go out and weed your fields for you. You don't even have to sit in it. So, I mean, all of these things are getting to be part of this equation and these jobs are really going to be everywhere. And I think we just have to make them more accessible and we have to change HR's policies. You know, they, Mm -hmm. I'll give you a good example. So, one of the girls that I mentor had a CRM skill in Oracle. She'd done a lot in Oracle and they wanted a different CRM package and she never got past the HR person because she couldn't tick that one box. Now, One CRM package is so similar to another CRM package. They'll all tell you different, but they all do the same stuff, right? And so she never got past that because she couldn't tick the box. Because a lot of these HR people are not technical recruiters. They don't understand the technology. And somebody in technology really needs to be able to fill and fit and find those parallel skills. Like I said, some companies do a great job of that the girl that runs um, the safety programs for Google came out of the mining industry. Some brilliant yeah. person decided what a great parallel skill to look at safety people like mining is, you know, a very hazardous area. And if you can control safety there, you can control safety in the construction side of a data center. And she's an amazing person too, by the way. But yeah, it, yeah. it's, there's, um, we have to start not thinking outside the box we have to think in a different box i think right
1: yeah no i agree with you and with ai with automation with everyone moving toward becoming more efficient this concerns me what you just said about recruiting process in companies because you know companies receive thousands and thousands and thousands of resumes right so the goal is to automate and you know find ways to increase efficiency so this problem you're talking about really is going to get worse, not better. We are not on a path to humanize the recruiting process. We're on a path to automate it. So then this is going to heavily affect the future. This problem is going to get worse, in other words. So I'm just curious, are there any ideas or solutions around this area, how to bring that human element or not miss you know, some of these folks that have, that are skilled and can do the job, but they're just not being picked up by the software?
2: Yeah, I think, one, it takes somebody to literally start reading resumes again. And I think we have to redefine keywords, right? We can't be looking for the exact keywords in a job description. The word infrastructure is a good example, right? If we look for somebody with infrastructure experience, that could be networking infrastructure, it could be physical infrastructure, it could be power and cooling it means something different to everybody that uses that word and so i think we have to do a much better job of looking for skills that can be applicable and understanding even if you have somebody with the exact skills from another company they're probably not going to do it the way you want anyway you're probably still going to have to train them and so i think we have to start reaching across the aisle i think we have to do more work with junior college programs and college programs and and making sure that curriculum is providing the skills that we need for people. But we just really have to get past this, letting a machine do everything for us. And we have to reinvent the way these applicant tracking systems are working. Because what it's clearly not working now, clearly not working.
1: Right. No, I agree. all, All these
2: people that are you know, remote work is is another big thing. You know, nobody wanted to allow anybody to work remotely. Well, (laughs) we've proven that. That could work, right? So, and I think a lot of companies are going to want people to come back, certainly because it's just, you know, the way their company operates. Because we're paying
1: rent, maybe. Yeah, 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 because we're paying rent. Right. (laughs) That
2: could have something to do with it. But yeah, I mean, I think that the work landscape is going to change. I think even the way college kids are learning now, I don't think that, College kids are going to demand a classroom experience all the time. And I think that college kids now, especially this younger generation, are not going to want to learn stuff that's not applicable to what they're doing, right? I think the whole learning process is going to change. So I think we're really sort of in a digital shift right here. And I really think that it takes having sponsors and even cultivators to make these things happen. So you know, just to be able to get some of those people in the industry.
1: And before we move to sponsors and mentors, because I really want to talk to you about this, you have so much expertise here. I want to talk a little bit more about the trades. I just think that this is a big answer. Oh, to it's a huge problem, answer. A huge answer. And, you know, the trades traditionally have not been cool. There's not... Parents don't raise their children, you know, encouraging them to go into the trades. And many times they'll say, you know, look where you don't want to end up like Jimmy, look at him over here. <laughs> poor you know, Jimmy. Um, poor Jimmy. <laughs> so and and I, I'm not blaming or or saying that it's you know that that it's anyone's particular responsibility. And I do believe that education is important. I mean, what what do we do here? How do we make it cool? The trades, you know, cool again and you know, support the trades. I just what you are know, some I- solutions here?
2: I have this hashtag, um, hire the person, not the paper. And I really think that that's important. I like that. (laughs) Well, if you think about it, you know, somebody that graduates medical school with all D's is still called doctor, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean he's the best. And the same thing happens, you know, not everybody learns the same way. Some people don't learn really well in a college environment. Some people are horrible at taking a test but they're amazing with hands-on stuff, or they like solving puzzles, which is great for a coder. And so you know, two years of something that is applicable to what you want to do is amazing. And I think really with the two-year curriculum, you're getting out of school with a lot less debt. And one thing that really sort of the backlash from this is that right now in IT, the average person stays on the job 18 months. Wow. That's horrible, right? So, that is horrible. <laughs> because it costs it costs at least a hundred thousand dollars every time you churn an employee. And so we have to get to the point where one, we're not saddling kids coming into the workplace with so much debt that there is no loyalty. Because after you've worked someplace for a year or two, you're worth a lot more in the marketplace. And companies give a three percent token raise. So really you're incentivizing your people to leave. And you know hundred
1: percent. I agree with you.
2: It's not just money. There's a lot of things involved. So like when I was consulting, when I started out, that's where a lot of these certifications came from because you needed them for this contract or this whatever. And so you go and you get the certification and then everybody was happy. And then after you get three or four of those certifications, you're worth about 20 grand more a year in the workplace. But your company gives you just a little bit. So, so it's an easy way to go. So well, The same thing's mm-hmm. happening with these kids that have $100,000 worth of college debt. First off, nobody should be encouraging them to take out debt they can't repay. That's horrible. That's a bad practice for later in life. And, But if they have that debt and another company offers them that extra 10 grand, Mm -hmm. they boing out of there so fast, it's crazy. And so I think we have to look at not just how we pay our people. And I think we should advertise pay scales for a job. Absolutely. And so that takes away the male female thing, right? Everybody gets paid equally. We know what the pay is, what that range is, and it's on that scale. And that takes away a whole lot of that. You know, I have to really negotiate my worth with this company because we already know what that is. I think we need to normalize parental leave. I think, and actually a friend of mine, Nancy Novak, she was on my podcast and she was talking about this. If it's the same leave for a man and a woman when they have a child, the people aren't worried about hiring the woman and her getting pregnant and having to take off for six weeks.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Because Because everybody takes off six weeks. Yeah. Isn't that brilliant. Plus, it's that's better than right. Right. So, right. Uh, so yeah. well, I can't take credit for that. I think it's a great solution. But back to the point about trade schools. You know, we really have to take that stigma away that they're not that great. And I think companies—that's one area that companies really have a lot more ability to be nimble because trade schools love having company sponsors. They, you know, or junior colleges for that matter, the two-year universities, they love having company sponsors. They can adjust their curriculum a little bit easier, I think, than some of the four-year folks. And so I think we just have to really look at our kids and understand, you know, are they going to want to graduate with a four-year degree of all Ds? Or are they going to want to do something that is Applicable to their vocation and go for two years with very little debt and then start working towards it. it. And here's the last thing I'll say on this there's a lot of companies that say that they'll pay for your college education as part of the employee benefits. Yes, but they do. Only hire people with a four year degree. That is such lip service. That's right. not a tangible benefit, you know? So I, I think that we really have to start like that hashtag, value the person, not the paper, and look at what that person brings to the equation. I personally would rather have somebody with four years experience than a four-year degree because they've been in the trenches. They've sorted it out. They've shuffled through it. And I think it brings a diversity of thought, especially to problem solving that you're not going to find anywhere else.
1: You know, Carrie, this reminds me of this, the remote workforce issue. So uh, you know, I've had my staffing company now for five years and literally for five years, we've been telling hiring managers, can this be a remote role? Can they maybe possibly be a hybrid role remote? And hiring managers were, and, and leaders were nervous, right? They were nervous and no, I, I this, this has to be sitting in this, their in toenails this all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> um, there was a lot of fear around it. And then we got shoved into it, right? and forced to be here. And now so many leaders are looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, this is really working. And I think I might keep some of this around. So I feel like this is similar to this college degree conversation. And it's it's starting to happen more and more. I, I actually was just interviewed for an article about this because I don't personally have the four-year degree. And I believe that leaders now Are they don't They want to make this step, or they think that they see the value, they understand it, right? Oh, I understand that makes sense, but there's still this thing inside them that's wired to look for and appreciate and value a college degree. So, if you've got you know two people in front of you and one has one and one doesn't, that leader may be biased to choose the one who doesn't. And I I think that this needs to be really a mindset shift, but that's That's so discriminatory,
2: don't you think? I yeah. mean, if you're going to discriminate a woman who has to drop out, or, or a man for that matter, that has to drop out and take care of their family, or you're going to discriminate against somebody who couldn't get the student loan to finish their degree, then yeah. you've just taken all the diversity out of your company. Yeah. And so I think it's a horrible, horrible disservice. And a lot of companies list that four-year degree as a requirement, but they'll waive it for the right person. So why list it to start with? Like let people show you if they have a degree, let them show you if they have that experience, but stop making it a job requirement, because I will tell you based on study after study after study, women will not apply to that job if they don't have that degree. And I, you know, and and there's, you know, there's another side to that too. You know, there's, there's a lot of schools that either lost accreditation or a lot of religious schools that didn't go the accreditation route because they would have to drop their religious requirements. It doesn't mean the person doesn't have the degree. It means that they didn't have the right credits to be accredited within that body. But those aren't counted either because they're not accredited degrees. So, or schools that that went out of business years ago, you know, they don't fall up on this list of accredited degrees. And so I think, you know, there's, we've got to get away from that being the number one job requirement. It's just so counterproductive, I think, to what we're really trying to do. And we have to look at the skills people bring to the table.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's switch gears a bit. I want to go back to diversity and let's go way back. Why is this conversation important? Why should we even be talking about this? Why do we hear about it every time we open a, you know, our computers or a magazine? Um, Why is diversity important? Why do women need to be represented 50-50? Why does it matter?
2: Okay, well, first off, we're half the population, so there's that, (laughs) roughly. But there's a so I I wrote this. uh, I shared this piece on LinkedIn not long ago about diversity, and it was the J.P. Morgan Chase article. Actually, I think that they wouldn't take a company public unless they had a woman on the board, uh, at least a woman on the board. And this man wrote this thing. You know, just hire the best skilled person. Let diversity fall where it lies. Why do you even care about diversity? And so put would answer back i said are you married and he responded yes i said have you ever lost your car keys and complained to your wife and she walked right up to him and handed them to you that's <laughs> what diversity buys you it's a different thought process right women are better multitaskers than men as a whole not i don't want to make general sweeping statements but women think differently we're wired differently we there's a caregiver sort of nature to us that's innate and there's you know not to say that men don't but we just Think differently, and we can get to the same solution differently. And so, when your problem is out there, I think that that's what that diversity of thought brings you is who's going to know exactly where you left the keys, and who's going to be scratching their head looking for the keys. And and those roles might reverse. But the whole point is that's what diversity brings you. It brings you that thought. AI is a great example. What if AI only thinks like men? Because there's not enough okay. women writing code. Wow, we're in trouble. And so, you know, we really have to get out of that mindset that there's a single way of thinking. And the only way to do that is to bring some of that diversity and even diversity, young kid to old kid. Mm-hmm. Young kids don't yeah. learn like we do. They're very raised right. based They're You know, I want to learn this in little pieces. I need to know exactly what I'm supposed to know and what my objectives are for this little piece. And it is a juggle from, from our, you know, and it's not like, well, you know, you have to suck up to us because, you know, we've been in this job for however many years. It doesn't work that way because everything that we do is addressing all of those people and technology today has to address everybody that uses it. And you're not going to be able to address those people if you don't know how they think.
1: Absolutely. And diversity breeds innovation.
2: Absolutely. Diversity
1: of thought breeds innovation. So if companies want to innovate, if companies want to get ahead, they're going to be smart and they're going to really be a champion for diversity. 100%. 100%. Let's talk about sponsorship and mentorship. I'm really excited about this topic with you, I think, than ever before. In fact, I have a keynote and then I'm on a a webinar. It's all based on mentorship. And I'm going to another event where I'm speaking on mentorship. So this is becoming a, a hot topic, which I'm excited about. There's an article I read that you wrote that be a sponsor, not just a mentor. I want to know, in your opinion, what's the difference between a sponsor and a mentor?
2: So a mentor is somebody that's going to help you on your career, help you figure out work ethics, things that you do for your job, for your career. A sponsor will literally fly your flag and they will bring your name up when you're not in the room. They will put your name forward. And go one step above and beyond. And then I also add cultivator to that. And I think cultivator is important. I think cultivators are the ones that see potential in somebody young and can really push forward and turn that relationship into a mentor relationship in some cases, but really just push that person on and say, look, you know, I just see a light in you that I really think could work. And you know, I know that you're having a hard time, but let me work through this with you. And then you become a mentor and then you become their sponsor. But it's really just doing that grassroots reaching up and, you know, sort of pulling them up and start to cultivate them as as talent. And I think you have to do that at a very young age. I'll give you a good example. So one of the ladies that I know in work, there was a girl that did a temporary internship with them. And of course, you know, the role got eliminated thanks to this stupid virus. But she literally reached out to her entire network of women and say, look, this girl is amazing. She's not in tech. She's in accounting. She doesn't like accounting. And so what can we do to help her? You know, she doesn't, she can't afford to go back to school. She's lost her scholarship. And so, you know, College isn't an avenue. What can we do to help her? So to me, that's absolutely a cultivator. That is seeing that light that this is an amazing young woman reaching out, seeing what people can do to help her out, and then growing that into something where, you know, she's now on a path with a lot of women looking after her. And it's that whole sort of it takes a village thing really, you know, to get her to that level. And then. All of these women that are working with her at some point, you know, we all mentor her a little bit, but at some point, somebody's going to be a sponsor, raise their hand and say, You need to talk to this girl. You know, this is not really what you're looking at. You need to talk to this girl. And if we go back to that 85% of all jobs are filled through networking, that's where sponsorship becomes important. Hmm. Somebody that can say, Hey, you really need to consider this person. So now we take the machine out of the equation. And we say, look, this person is dynamite. I, you know, we've got to find a place for this person.
1: Right, right. So smart. In fact, in, in, in our company, the majority of our roles are also filled through networking and people that we know. So that's a, we're, we are a cultivator for every one of our candidates. So tell me, let's look at this from the viewpoint of a mentor and the viewpoint of a mentee. And let's take leaders, for example. If there's leaders listening to the show and they're thinking, do I need to start a, a mentorship program in my company do i need to assign mentors like what's the first step or the first few steps in order for leaders to make this happen in their company
2: so a program is good right it's it's nice to have it as an official program it shows your employees that you're taking the initiative to grow what they're doing and i've got so i've got different mentees through different organizations some of them have a very very formal process and you need to follow this 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 and this although i will say more often than not it goes way off that chart uh, which is a good thing. But I think having that formal program really shows your employees that you're taking an interest in where they're going in the company. It's a two-way street though, right? So everybody that I have ever mentored, I learned just as much from them, mm. if not more than they learned from me because I learned different ways of thought and, you know, the different ways people think and that kind of stuff, which I think is is equally important, but it has to be a comfortable relationship and I was uh, at a keynote at a Wimco event in Dallas and this man stood up and said, why would I want a mentee that's a female right now with the Me Too movement going on? And I thought, yeah. wow, how shallow is that? Like, have your meetings at a restaurant. What are you saying to your mentees that you're not worried <laughs> about that, right? So I do think, you know, it's a matter of matching the right people. And I think that mentees will challenge mentors and mentors should challenge mentees. And it doesn't mean that they have to be, you know, if you're a woman in tech, it doesn't mean you have to have a female mentor. You know, you could have a male mentor. You could, it could be whatever arrangement works. It could be somebody from a completely different apartment or department that's just helping you navigate company structure. Because, you know, a lot of these big companies can be very political. And sometimes that's a difficult environment, especially for people that don't like drama. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's nice just to have that sounding board, right? but i do think you know whether it's formal or not if you're trying to navigate your way through things there's a million places you can reach out and find a mentor you can do it through professional organizations you can do it on linkedin as far as that goes you yeah. can do it through church you can do it through you know family members and people that you know so there's a lot of ways to to make that happen but mentors are not mind readers either and as a mentee you have to really be able to articulate some things. And then out of that conversations come and that'll lead to other things and other things and other things.
1: Right. Right. Well said. I want to close with this. And you said something earlier that there's many companies out there that want to hire more women, but when it gets, and I'm reading your words on your, that you wrote, but when it gets a bit difficult, they cave and they go back to the same old, same old. And I want to really drive this point home because leaders have a comfort zone and they also have a lot of pressure to hire. Okay. A lot. And it's hard. It's hard to be a champion for diversity and maintain diversity. What are some solutions here? How do we support leaders to get out of their comfort zone and keep going even when it's hard to make sure that they are committed to diversity?
2: that they do the right thing?
1: (laughs) 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 that they do the right thing. (laughs) So I I
2: think it's a few things. First off, it has to start at the top. If you really want to attract women and diverse people, you have to do things like be willing to pay a relocation fee, be able to let folks work remotely, be able to let a woman work from home when her kid is sick. And you know, even if it's, like you said, a hybrid role, we have to be able to use tech to its advantage to allow some of those things to happen organically. We also have to start surrounding ourselves with people that are outside of our comfort zone. And so when we talk about these networking conversations, we have to be more active, say, for instance, in a, in a community that surrounds what we do that has men and women at the table. And we have to listen. We have to make sure that all voices are heard and that the women at the table are heard. I had a guy that worked for me one time that would never say anything in a staff meeting because he was hard of hearing. And so he was very conscious about his speech. Great employee. Love the guy. One of the best coders on the planet. And so I said, look, just start giving me your questions and I'll ask them for you. Because that's how you're going to be heard. And I need you to be heard because your input's valuable. And so we have to start making some of those conversations happen. And if you're at a local networking event, seek out the woman in the room. What are you doing? You know, are you because there is so much that's parallel that can really work but you know as humans we as a whole don't like to get outside of our comfort zone anyway but yeah i think um i think it has to really start top down and it's got to be not lip service it's got to be somebody's going to have to pull some applications and figure out you know if we really want to hire 50% women or whatever that is somebody's going to have to look and make sure they're women and i know there's people that say that's reverse discrimination but that's the only way to solve this problem. We're not going to solve it by the status quo. We're not going to solve it by hiring the same people all the time, and we're not going to solve it by machines trying to tick boxes in keynote fields because there's too many things that are parallel and like I said some human is going to have to think that through to figure out what those relationships are.
1: You know, great leaders get out of their comfort zone and they take exactly. a stand. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And and the yeah. best leaders surround themselves with brilliant people and challenge them and give them the support to do what they want and sit back and watch them shine. People will amaze you if you give them that opportunity.
1: Mm, well said. Carrie, thank you. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Um, where, can, where can we reach you?
2: Oh, so you can go to uh, Strategic Just go com. to, just go to um, Google.
1: You're all over. Yeah, go to everywhere. Google. You can Google
2: me. I'm all <laughs> over the place. Uh, you can go to LinkedIn. I'm always happy to connect on LinkedIn. It's right. Carrie Getz, which is G-O-E-T-Z. It's spelled a little funny. Strategicom is is out there. S T R A T E G I T C O M dot com. You can there reach you me there. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm accessible. I'm around. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Carrie J Gets. So yeah, anywhere. I'm happy to
1: connect. Okay. And then the name of your podcast again, please.
2: Careers for Women, Trades, and Vets in Tech.
1: Perfect, perfect. Okay, Carrie, thanks so much for being on Five G Talent Talk today. Uh, oh, thanks amazing for amazing episode. Yes, I'd like to uh, do this again someday.
2: Oh, we absolutely will. And you'll have to come do mine too. You got
1: it. (laughs) Take take care.
2: Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain and engage people in this new world of work to access the show notes or leave a review visit broadstaffglobal.com until next time